That was some great worship, and we so appreciate Pastor Randy and our band, our team, our tech team. They do a wonderful job. They get here. Yeah, you can give them a hand. They get here really, really early every single Sunday. How many of you are liking this weather? Is this weather okay with you? You like it a little bit cooler? How many of you like the fact that it's cooler, but that you did not have to shovel snow to get to church today? Or scrape ice off of your windshield? Sort of the best of both worlds, isn't it? So good to be here with you. I'm so glad that you're here for part three. I want to encourage you to bring somebody with you next week. And you say, well, you know, why do you want me to do that? Because I know where we're going with the message. And if you bring a family member or friend with you, I think that it will be really, really helpful. And I mention this to you quite often. Sometimes the people that you know and work with and you start inviting them to church and they may have a litany of excuses. And one of the ones, have you ever heard this? You were really inviting somebody to go to church. Have you ever had somebody tell you this? Well, I I don't have any church clothes. How many of you have heard that at least one time? Just wave. I don't have any church clothes. And if they happen to say that, you just say, well, that's okay. Our pastor doesn't have any church clothes either. You're going to feel right at home. So you just share that with them and encourage them to come, not to use that as an excuse, but you bring them and you really will be glad that they come with you uh, next week. Hey, I want to give you uh, really, I think is an amazing update on something. A lot of you signed up to ring the bell for Salvation Army uh, during the holidays. I do that every year. A lot of you do that every year. And the numbers uh, and information that we were getting on the front end of this year's kettlebell ringing was this. By the way, uh, Salvation Army is like an incredible, wonderful, amazing organization. I know a lot of times when you're thinking about getting involved and serving and and you wonder, you know, is is this a, a worthwhile organization? Is it an altruistic organization? I can tell you Salvation Army is phenomenal. But here's the reports that we were getting going into the holidays before we ever started ringing the bell, that, that what would happen is that the need would be greater this year than ever before because of COVID and other challenges. But there was an expectation that people, again, because of crises, would be giving less in the kettle. Well, I want to just tell you, as a result of all the ringing that we did as a church, combined with our North Campus Church family at two different locations, the money that we were used by God to help raise was 20% greater than the money last year when everything was somewhat normal. Isn't that amazing? It is, to me, it is amazing. And it's amazing if you're on the receiving end of those who need help with a great organization like the Salvation Army. Well, in this series, we're talking about Uh, You know, moving from here to there. How do I get from here, which is the place that I'm currently at, to the place that I know that God wants me to be? How do I move from point A to point B? Now, if you've been with us during the first two weeks, either in person or online, then you're already well acquainted with our theme for this series. And we'll keep it alive today and next week. And that is today's decisions are going to shape tomorrow's uh, direction. Let's say that again, just in case you weren't here or you haven't been watching, that the decisions that you and I are making today, today, like right now, are going to be the decisions that are going to help to shape our future. So it's really important uh, that uh, you and I are making right decisions now. So I want to just bring something back to your attention. I mentioned this last week. And so it's like, man, he's, he's forgiving, getting, even though he's 31 years old, he's getting a little forgetful. This is intentional. What I'm going to mention to you, where do you plan to be in five years, 
Think about that. Where do you plan on being five years from now? Where do you plan on being 10 years from now? Now, Jesus may come back before any of that, but you know, the reality is he may not. And so where are we going to be? Where are we going to be five years, 10 years, 20 years? Where are you going to be next January? And then you start looking at different spectrums of your life. You know, in week number one, we talked about, hey, what are some things that we need to stop? What are some of the things that we need to start or rather start doing? Last week, we talked about what do we need to stop doing. And so when you start thinking about where you're going spiritually, what are some things that you're going to need to start if you're going to move from here to there spiritually? And maybe for some of you, it's like, you know what I need to do? I, I know that I need to be reading my Bible. I know that I need to be praying. I know that I need to be sharing my faith. I know that, uh, you know, I, I need to be giving. I know that I need to be serving. I know that I need to be leading small group. I know that I need, and, and let me just put it as pragmatically as I know how. Listen, if you and I, which I think we're all in agreement, we need to grow spiritually. None of us have arrived yet. Then the reality is if we don't do something different, either starting something or stopping something or a combination of both, the reality is a year from now, we're going to be at the exact same place or worse if we're not doing something different to propel us forward in terms of spirituality. How many of you, does that make sense to you? If it does, wait at me and you think it's dark and I can't see your hand, but I have Superman vision and I can see your hand. So, all right. So where are you going? Where are you going to be physically? And some of you are like, wow, I really, really need to work on that. Where are you going to be next, next year? Where are you going to be three years or five years from now? Maybe this year you went for your, this past year, you went for your annual physical and, and they're like, Hey, your blood work and you need to watch this, or you need to take that, or you need to, you know, cut this back, or you need to start doing that. And you're like, well, Hey, you know, if I don't do something different, you know, I'm not going to be able to get from where I'm at to where I want to be. You know, if I'm at this weight now and I want to be at this weight, then I probably can't keep doing what I'm doing. If I want to be healthy, if I want to be more fit, if I want a good doctor's report after my annual physical next year, if I want to feel better, if I want to be more energetic, then the reality is you and I are probably going to have to do something different than what we're doing right now. If we say, well, you know, what about in the context of my relationships? If I, you know, I, I, I really want to have friends, but I don't have a lot of friends, or I really would like to develop this relationship, uh, or I'm interested in this person, you know, you're probably going to have to start some things. And if you're like saying, I want to have friends, but you're like an unfriendly person, well, you're probably going to have to change that. Well, you know, I want to have friends, but every time somebody invites me to do something, I don't want to do it. Well, you know, you probably are going to have to change that relationally speaking. What about financially? You're saying, well, you know, I know that I probably need to start some things and stop some things. And if you're just saying, here's my level, and I would encourage you, if you've never done this and you've got debt, you may want to go and calculate that and say, all right, and then once you get through crying, you know, and sobbing and curled up in the, in the floor like a, like a baby, you say, all right, now it's time to tackle it, and I'm going to get out of debt, and I'm going to start building some savings, and I'm going to contribute to some retirement, and I'm going to, you know, have a budget, you know, and the moment that I put together a budget, you're going to feel like you've got a raise because now you know where your money is. And so it's just how do I get from here to where, I really know I need to be in my job or in my career or my education. So in week number one, as I just mentioned, we talked about what are some of the things that we need to start last week? What are some of the things that we need to stop? And we're going to take a little bit different turn. And I think this is going to be helpful for all of us, me included. I'm, so if it's okay with you, I'm going to be preaching to myself a, a lot today. Here's what we need to talk about moving from here to there. Uh, when do we need to stay when it would be so much easier to go? 
Let me say that again. When we need to stay, when the easiest route would be to go. And life, by the way, just has a way of bringing us each to that crossroads where it's like, you know what? I, I really, it's going to be tough to stay and, and it would be easier to go. But I know fundamentally speaking, the right thing for me to do in this situation is to stay. It is a path that many of you have already traversed. It is a path that many of you have already discovered. Maybe it's been with a job. Maybe it's been in the context of a dream or, or a relationship or your education uh, and if you're like, uh, this is foreign to me, Jeff, I've never been at that place. Let me give you some news. You will be at that place. And by the way, most of us will be at that place a lot more than once because this reality is never like a one and done proposition. We're going to be at that place and, and it can happen in so many different segments and compartments of our life where we're at a crossroads and it would just be easier to just quit. It would just be easier to go. But there's value and there's blessing in the stain. And, and we're going to talk about that. You know, each week we've taken, we've reached back into the Old Testament. And if you're like, I don't read the Old Testament, then you're missing out on some amazing events with real people. And we've been looking at some of these events. Week number one, we looked at Daniel, if you remember that. Week number two, last week, we looked at Moses. And today, what I want to do, as we're learning valuable lessons from some of these narratives and some of these people in the Old Testament, today we're actually going to learn a valuable lesson from an admirable, admirable lady. Her, her story, she's just a wonderful lady, and you're going to see this play out, and I hope that it will prompt you to read. Now, I, I'm going to ask you to follow me, and, uh, and I'm going to have some, some verses on the screen in just a couple of moments, but I want to go ahead and mention this Old Testament book, and maybe in mentioning the book, it might will give you a hint as to what lady we're going to talk about. So here's the book we're going to. We're going to Ruth. Any guesses as to who we may be talking about? We'll just open it up for your speculation. How many of you would say, that could be Ruth. It may be Ruth, and it is Ruth. And when we're first introduced to Ruth, she is already a grown woman. She is not an infant. She's not a baby. Because Bible scholars have said, had she been a baby, the name of this book would have been Baby Ruth and not Ruth. No, I'm sorry. That is not accurate. I just made that up. I apologize. That's just so poor. That is so lame. It wouldn't have been called Baby Ruth. But she is grown. And, uh, you know, we get into her story, and it's an amazing story. She, Ruth, is a daughter-in-law of this wonderful lady by the name of Naomi. And their story, you know, it has an amazing ending, but it has a tragic uh, patch of time in it. Because here's the reality, and I'll just give you the overview, and I hope it'll be enough to prompt you to go home this afternoon and to read the entire book. You're like, how can I read an entire Old Testament book this afternoon? Because it's only four chapters. You can be through in 15 minutes or less. And I hope you'll read the whole thing because I can only touch upon a, a, a portion of it. So here is Naomi, and she's one, married to this wonderful guy, and he's got a very cool name. You may want to hold on to it for your future kids. His name is Elimelech. That's a great name, isn't it? Hey, Elimelech. And that's his name. And so there is a famine that takes place in Bethlehem and Judah where Naomi and Elimelech live. And so they need, for survival's sake, uh, they need to go somewhere else because of the famine. And so of all places, they go to a, a, a place called Moab. 
And they have a couple of boys, and the names of their boys, here's the names of their sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, and they take their young sons with them, and their young sons grow up, and they start noticing uh, women, and they're like, we think we're interested in girls, and eventually they get married, and so life seems to be clicking along. They have avoided the famine uh, back in Judah, but then tragedy strikes. And that is that Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech. And, uh, and then some span of time later, I, you know, chronologically speaking, it seems that maybe it was uh, several years later, but actually Naomi loses not only her husband, but she actually loses her two sons. They pass away as well, Malon and Kilion, they pass away. And so you have the picture by now. This is tragedy times 10 to the 10th power. And so you've got Naomi, and she's lost her husband, and she's lost her sons, and her two daughters-in-law, they have lost their husbands. And so here is Naomi, and here she is with her two daughter-in-laws, and uh, this is, it's not on the screen, but this is the B part. By the way, because I never explain these things, uh, so if I say B part, then it's like the second part of the verse when I may not read the whole verse, or the A part, the first part of the verse, and sometimes like I'll do today, you may hear me say like in, in 1, 5, and I may not say chapter 1 in verse 5 or 1, 10 or whatever, 2, 11, and 12. So if you hear that, then you know A or B, first portion or second portion of a verse. If I just don't give chapter and verses and just say like 2, 11, you know it's chapter 2 and verse 11. thought I'd mention that because sometimes we make assumptions. Everybody knows what that means. So in chapter 1, here's what we read. This is the B part of verse 5. It says, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And you know what this means, because in, in today's economy, in today's structure, there's a lot of safety nets for people that fall on hard times. There's a lot of things that can come in and provide some, uh, some substantial help to help people get through the tough times in their life. But in this time period, at this era, it was not going to be. In fact, because Naomi had lost her husband, Elimelech, her means of support had gone. And then in a case like that, where there was a widow, the boys would, you know, they'd sort of take care of mom and pitch in and help with mom because there was going to be no other means of financial support. But now, uh, these sons are gone. And so as a result of that, I mean, just practically speaking, and you need to read the story, but Naomi is going to be reduced to a beggar because she has no other way. She has no other way. There were not the opportunities, wonderful opportunities that ladies have available to them today. So it's not like that she can go out and get her a job. So really, she knows that probably for the rest of her life, she's going to have to beg in order to make ends meet. And she's not really excited about the prospect, in her case, future marriage and all of that. So she's just like, you know what I need to do? The famine had passed back in Judah. And so she's like, you know what? If I'm going to be reduced to begging then by all means, it would probably be easier to do that in a place that I'm from and somewhat known than to try to sustain life in a strange place, at least strange to me, like Moab. And so what does she do? Uh, She will return home, but she will not do so without a tearful goodbye by saying to her daughter-in-laws, you remember where they're from, they're from Moab, where she's living, 
And so she's going to say goodbye to them, and she dearly loves them. And um, they're all really at this stage in her life, Naomi has, but there's just no way, there's no way she feels that she could ever ask her daughters-in-law to relocate to Judah where she's headed back to. So she's just going to say goodbye. She's going to release them from any sense of obligation they feel that they may have to her. And so maybe she's hoping that some way, somehow, as I go back to Judah, these daughter-in-laws that I love, that they'll be able to just, you know, take the broken pieces of their life and maybe there'll be some sense of normalcy they'll be able to get back to one day. Maybe, maybe they'll be able to pick up the pieces, hopefully remarry one day, be, be loved and cared for again, maybe have some kids and, and maybe again, things are going to be normal for them once more. So in eight. Naomi initiates this communication where their two daughter-in-laws, and that's where Ruth comes in. And, and she's going to share this, and she's going to have the same conversation at the same time with both of them. And so she's going to share this with Ruth and her other daughter-in-law named Orpah. And so she starts this conversation with him, and she's like, everything that I've told you, and here's what's going to happen. And so I'm going back home, and so I just want to release you. Go back to your families. Pick up where you left off. I wish you well. And Orpah, who also loves her mother-in-law, I mean, and there's no shame in what she does. I mean, anybody would understand it. She's not painted in any bad light. So Orpah takes Naomi up on her suggestion, and she says, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to remain in Moab. And by the way, Orpah went on to have a great life. I mean, you know this. She had a, a TV show, and she's an author in her own magazine and appeared in some movies. Okay, maybe it's not the same person. Now, I'm going to give you some bonus information here. All right, you ready for this? Maybe you've never heard this before. You know Oprah? Everybody knows. How many of you know Oprah more about Oprah than you do Orpah? How many of you know this? When Oprah was born, you know what her name was? It was Orpah. In fact, Oprah was named after this Bible character that we're mentioning right now out of Ruth, but uh, people were always mispronouncing Orpah, and instead of saying Orpah, they were saying Oprah, and so as a result of that, Oprah stuck, so if you could see a copy, and you can check this out on your own, if you could see a copy of Oprah's birth certificate, it doesn't say Oprah, it says Orpah. So that's free information, you know, I just wanted to give that to you, that, that's, that cost you nothing. But back to Ruth. So her reaction to Naomi, and again, uh, Naomi's recommendation, and there's nothing wrong with how Orpah, that's just a normal uh, and usual response. But how Ruth responds is clearly different. And this is where we pick up with the verses on the screen. I want you to look at this right here. Uh, Naomi then said to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God. She's doing this. Why don't you go with her? You're from Moab too. You can go back to your families. Ruth answered, please don't tell me to leave you and return home. Look at this next portion right here. I will go where you go. I will live where you live. If you're going back to Judah, guess what? I'm going to be right on your, your heels. And by the way, your people are going to become my people. And I know in a place like Moab that there's all these pantheons of gods. But Naomi, I just want you to know, I'm not only going back to your land and to your people, I'm going to your God. In other words, what, what Ruth is saying, this is what makes her such an amazing woman. What Ruth is saying in these moments is, is this. I know that it would be easy to stay. It would, be, it would be so much more sensible for me to, uh, to just stay 
right here, but you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm, I'm going to go with you. It would be easier, you know, to just go on with my life, but the right thing for me to do is to just stay with you to stay with you. And you want me to go back to my family. And I get that. And there's a longing in my heart deep down that made me go back uh, there. But you know what? It's just the right thing for me to do is to stay with you. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay with you. So Naomi and Ruth, and there's, again, this is a fascinating story. Uh, Naomi and Ruth strike out to go back to Bethlehem and Judah. The famine is over. But uh, again, you got to keep in mind, they don't have jobs. Neither of them have husbands. Neither of them have any means of financial support. There's no kind of system to prop them up until things get better. And so they're both, really, they're going to be together, but they're both going to be beggars. Now, I, I'd love to chase this, but I only have 15 minutes left, and I don't want to do it. But in the law, it would say things like this. If you had a rich landowner, and there were crops, and when it came time for harvest, it would be like, if you have grapevines, don't take all the grapes. Leave some behind for the poor. How many of you have ever read that in the scriptures before? And when you're harvest, you don't have to, like, harvest to the edges of your field. Hey, leave something behind, because in that culture, in that day, there would be those just like... Naomi and just like uh, Ruth who would have to resort to begging and so of all things you know uh, Ruth ends up in the fields of a wealthy landowner and this guy his name is Boaz and and Boaz he he's you know he's got means and and he's a good guy he's like a really really good guy he's got integrity and and so uh, one day he comes out to the fields and he looks around and he he notices you know somebody new gleaning in the fields and and he starts asking some questions and he discovers that this is Ruth and and Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi and he knows about Naomi because he had you'll see it in the story he had a relationship with Elimelech and so he, he just says to the guys, listen, anything that this young lady, because he's becoming familiar with her story, anything that she needs, I want you to provide it for. And, and then he adds this, and you'll see it in the text when you look at it. You better make sure that nobody lays a finger on this girl. In other words, if anybody treats her harshly in any way, they're going to have to answer to me. And that was a big deal. So I want to be sure, this is what Boaz is saying, I want to be sure that she is cared for. And, and, and that begins to play out. And, and just his blessing to Ruth is just like goes above and beyond what she had anticipated. It's better than what she thought it would be. And so like she has questions like, why are you so good to me? And I don't understand it and I don't deserve it. Now I want you to look. This is uh, chapter 2 I believe verses 11 and 12. I want you to look at this. Boaz answered in response to her. He said you know why Ruth? I've heard about how you've helped your mother-in-law ever since your husband died. You even left your own father and mother. Where did she leave them? Back in where? See if you're listening. Moab. You've even left your own father and mother uh, to come and live in a foreign land among people you don't know. Look at this next part right here. I pray, this is so good. I pray that the Lord God of Israel will reward you for what you have done. And now that you have come to him for protection, I pray, say this with me, everybody. I pray that he will, say it again. I pray that he will, I pray that God will bless you. 
And you know, it's an amazing story. I shared that with you. And, and you, know, uh, you know, old Boaz, he starts asking some questions about Ruth. And he's like, okay. And he's developing an interest. But there's somebody else that has rights to the property of Elimelech who's now deceased. And so there's somebody that has to offer up like a first right of refusal. And this guy says, uh, hey, I'm not interested. And, and Boaz seizes the opportunity. And here's a cool story. You can read about all the gaps I'm leaving out. Boaz is so cool. Boaz ends up being married to, of all people, to who? To Ruth. And then eventually they have a son, and the name of the son is Obed. And Obed grows up, and Obed has a son. Now, this is a name you're going to be familiar. Some of you are like Obed. Oh, never heard of that one, but this one you have heard of. Obed has a son. Again, it starts with Boaz and Ruth, who has Obed. Obed grows up, gets married, has a son. His name is Jesse. How many of you are getting closer to the story now? Jesse grows up and gets married, and Jesse has a son by the name of what? David. And of all things, this is mind-blowing to me. And when you get through reading the four chapters of Ruth this afternoon, jump over to the early verses of Matthew, Matthew chapter one. And you know what you're going to notice there? Mentioned there, listed right there in the genealogy of Jesus himself is of all people, the name Ruth. And it was not very common. Dr. Hackett knows this. It would not be very common for a lady's name to be mentioned in a genealogy. It's just the way, I'm not saying it's right. It's just the way that things, the way things were. But here's Ruth listed boldly in the genealogy of Jesus himself. So how many of you would agree that in her stain, she was blessed? Would you agree with that? Isn't that an amazing story? That in her stain, she was blessed. And if she had left, and it would have been easier for her to go. It would have been so much easier for her to go back to her family in Moab. But she just felt like it was the right thing to do. And in her stain, in her stain, there was actually blessing. Now, I understand that uh, when we're talking about the blessing of stain, I understand that the narrative of our, of our story is not going to be nearly as celebrated and decorated as the story that I've just shared with you. Nevertheless, I want to say to you, and I want you to hear me loudly and clearly, there's often blessings that come as a result of stain. They're often, and let me just give you before we're done, because I'm quickly running out of time and and uh, just be real practical right here. Oftentimes, and there's so many different ways that I could go with this, but let's just take your education. And those of you that are pursuing an education, maybe a, an additional degree, or those of you that are in college, or those of you that are taking some classes, sometimes it just feels like, well, you know what? Nope, 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 nope. I don't want to stay with this. I don't want to keep doing this. It just, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm worn out. I don't feel like doing this. I've got a heavy class load. I'm working a job. I'm tired. I'm all stressed out. This is just wearing me out. I think I I'm going to just quit school. I love this story. Maybe you will as well. It says a father was trying to encourage his son who was talking about quitting school. He lectured his son because that's what dads typically do, right? We lecture our sons. And he lectured his son by saying, son, you've heard about Thomas Edison. He didn't quit. You've heard about Albert Einstein. He didn't quit. You've heard about Abraham Lincoln. He didn't quit. You've heard about Isidore McPringle. And he's going to continue. And son, stop, stop. 
Dad, 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 dad. No, I haven't heard about him. I've heard about all the other guys, but I've never heard about Isid- uh, you know, Isidore McPringle. I have no idea his, uh, who he is. His father answered, you know why? That's because he quit. Okay, that'll hit you later. So I enjoyed it apparently a whole lot more than you did. See if I share with you another story. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just say, hey, you know, it would be easier to just go, to just quit, to just stop, to just, but you know what? But then you work through and you get that degree. And it's not something you're only proud of. It helps you to be able to leverage that toward another opportunity. And maybe that degree helps you to get to, uh, to, a, to a good job or the job that you've always wanted to have. And so, so many different areas where it would be easy to quit. If you've never read this book, you may want to pick it up. It's not, you know, it's not a Christian book, but it's a good little book. Admiral, it's not anti-Christian, obviously, but this guy's name is Admiral William McRaven. He's written this great little book, and the book actually came as a result of a commencement address that he gave at the University of, of Texas. And those of you who are Texas, hook them horns. I'm not a Texas fan, but I know that it's and he actually said that at the end of, of his address. Well, he's written as a result of that a little book, and the book is called, and you could read it in, in a couple of days, it's called Make Your Bed, Make Your Bed. And then the subtitle is Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. But in that book, there's an excerpt paragraph that I brought with me today that I want you to look at this and what, uh, what he said. He said, of all the lessons I learned in SEAL training, this was the most important, never quit. It doesn't sound particularly profound, but life constantly puts you in situations where quitting seems so much easier than continuing on. That's part. Where the odds are so stacked against you that giving up seems the rational thing to do. Throughout my career, he said, very decorated career, he said, I was constantly inspired by men and women who refused to quit. And so maybe there's a part of you that says, you know what, I just want to quit my education But there's something that you believe that if you'll hang in there, that there may come a blessing as a result of your staying. Maybe it's your job, and maybe it's your career, and maybe even right now you're thinking, I wish you hadn't have mentioned that because I was enjoying this service till you reminded me that I've got to get up and go to work in the morning with those people, those people, those people. How many of you have already discovered people aren't always nice? How many of you have discovered not everybody in the whole wide world loves you? How many of you have figured that out already? And how many of you are like me? You just don't understand what their problem is. But not everybody loves you. Not everybody, you know, God is for you, but that doesn't mean that everybody wants to see you. And it's just like, you know what? I just, those people, I can't take those people anymore. And, um, you know, I, I can't take working for that person anymore. And, and the office politics and all the procedures and the things. And I'm just, I just want to quit. I just want to, I want to be done. Unfulfilled promises of being promoted. And there's probably that part, if you've not been there, you may be there at some point in the future where you're just saying, Hey, you know what? It's not playing out exactly, and this is not a perfect job. By the way, you're going to have a really hard time finding a perfect job. I'll save you some trouble there. But uh, it's just like, man, and, but you know what? Oftentimes, there's blessing in the staying. I'm not saying every time because there are sometimes circumstances we required. But uh, as I've had this conversation with many people before who's had like an honorary boss, and I know you ha- never have, and I, if you have one right now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it's it could be that your boss actually is in this service and you don't want to give that away like right now. You want to sort of keep that between you and God. 
But I've said to so many people, you know what? Don't work for your boss. You've got to, uh, you know, he's your, your direct report. And I understand that. And I'm not talking about being, um, you know, unruly or non-cooperative. But just do your work. And I've said this so many times. Somebody, just like this. At the end of the day, don't look at it that you're working for a particular person or even a company. Do your work is under God. And sometimes, sometimes there's blessing, and, the, uh, and I'm not saying that's true 100% of the time, but a lot of times we give up on a blessing that could have come because a change may eventually lead to a breakthrough. To a breakthrough. And sometimes in, in the context of a friendship, it would be easier to just go than to stay. In the context of a marriage, it would be easier to go than to stay. And, and, and some of you, and I, I have a heightened sensitivity toward this because I, all of you who know me know that I've come from a, a broken family where there was divorce. And, and I, you know, I, I have sensitivity toward that. And some of you, that may be, you know, on your past resume before. And you can't do anything about that now. And, and you can't go back. And it's happened. And you've got to move forward in your life. But there's times that, you know, you just want to say, hey, it would just be so much easier than to, to just go. That would be the easiest, easiest path is to just, but I think, and you feel something resonating, and you just sort of say it, but I think, I feel like what God wants me to do is I just need to stay. And I'm not talking about, and I don't have time to even address this in a place where it's going to be abusive, and you're somebody's punching bag, and that's a whole different story. But there's times where it's just, made, hey, we just need to get some help, or we need to go for some counseling. And I just need to see the other person's perspective, and I need to be sensitive about what their needs are, and not be constantly consumed by what my needs are. And I just need to be unselfish, and and you just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to hang in there. And I'm just going to, and there may be that you find that there comes a blessing in staying when it would have been easier to go. And that's true. Sometimes people have this in their relationship with God, even. That it would be easier to go because it's like, well, God, you, you didn't answer this prayer. And I prayed that they would be healed. And I just prayed that this would happen. And, and they died anyhow. And this happened in my life. And this crisis and, and this. And God, I'm just, number one, I don't, I don't understand it. By the way, I'm ticked off about it. And I'm really angry. And I'm mad at you. And by the way, God, this is all your fault. You caused it or you didn't prevent it. But then something just tells you the right thing to do is not to flee. It's not to go, but to stay. And you're just really honest with God, and God can handle that. And you're like, God, I don't clearly understand this. I don't. I don't clearly understand this, God. I don't understand. I, it seems like you could have prevented this from happening. You could have caused this, on the other hand. But God, here at the end of the day, I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to remember that your love is amazing. And it's infinitely perfect in every way. And it's irrational, your love is. And it's unconditional. And I remember your grace. And I remember your forgiveness. And I remember your presence and your power that is at work in my life. And sometimes, just like for Ruth, when it would have been easier to go, there's a blessing in the stain. It's too late for your name to end up in the genealogy of Jesus. So that, I can't offer that to you. But there's blessings so many times that you and I may miss out on because we short-circuited ourselves from something that may have been God's best for our life had we hung in there. So what decisions are we making today? that are going to shape our tomorrows. Would you allow God to speak to you today? 
And maybe you give yourself even a little self-talk. How many of you ever give yourself a self-talk? Do you ever do this? That's okay. That's okay. Talk to yourself. Now, be careful how many times you answer back and forth. That, that may cross the line, you know. You don't want to, like, sit there and have a full-drawn 15-minute conversation with yourself. That scares me a little bit. But a self-talk, and you just say, you know what? I am not a quitter. I'm a finisher. And there's a verse that guys are going to put up on the screen that you may want to just commit to memory. It's such a great verse, and you're going to see it right up here. It's Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. In fact, would you read it with me? Everybody, let's read it together. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We'll reap a harvest. We'll reach a blessing. We'll reap a blessing. Back in 1968, that was a long time ago, obviously, in Mexico City, the last runner to finish in the marathon was actually a marathon runner from, of all places, Tanzania. He had had a difficult race, to say the least. He had stumbled, this marathon runner from Tanzania had at one point, and he was all bruised up, and he was bloody, and actually he had a fractured bone in his leg. But he didn't quit. Even though everybody else had finished the race and gone home, he kept at it. Finally, this is the limit. Finally, at 7 o'clock in the evening, he straggled into the near-empty stadium. There were about 7,000 people still there on hand to witness his finishing of the race, and all 7,000 stood, giving this battered athlete a standing ovation on what was his last lap. When this dedicated marathon runner was then asked, why didn't you quit? It just would have made sense. I mean, look at you. You're, you're bruised and you're bloody and you got this broken bone, which he didn't know he had at the time, but found out later. Why didn't you quit? He simply said, and here's his quote, my country did not send me halfway around the world to start the race. They sent me to actually finish the race. And maybe today, as you listen to God, and as you give yourself a little self-talk, I'm not a quitter, I'm a finisher. Maybe you're going to draw strength and encouragement from Jesus himself who had a conversation with God about quitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. You said, no, he didn't. Jesus never talked about quitting. Well, this is how it played out and you can interpret it however you want. Jesus, as he's kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the cross is ahead of him, he knelt down and he said to his heavenly father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he's saying? If there's any room here to quit, wow, I know what's ahead of me. And, uh, but then he followed that up and he said, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And you know what Jesus did? He pressed on. The one who refused to be a quitter pressed on all the way to the cross for you and for me to inspire us that we don't have to be a quitter. And sometimes, and again, it's not true in 100% of the time, and I, don't, I never said that it's true in 100% of the time, so I don't want you to walk away from that. But there's so many times when we could have done one thing, but we did what we felt God wanted us to do was the right thing, and in our stain, there came a blessing. So some of you are going to draw strength and encouragement from Jesus himself. Some of you are going to take an inventory of your life and you're going to say, you know what I need most? Yeah, I need God's encouragement and I need God's strength. But what I need most is I need his grace and I need his mercy and I need his forgiveness and I need his peace because you know that you've never accepted Christ. You're not born again. You've never given your life to Jesus. You're a good person. You're a good provider. You love your family. You're a good friend, 
you're honest in business, but you've never said, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of the living God. And I want to confess that I'm a, a sinner. And I want to confess that you're going to be the leader and the Lord of my life because I'm going to receive you into my life even now. And you can do that. Those of you that are watching online or those of you that may need to pray that prayer that's right here. Would you stand with me, everybody? We're out of time. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed right now, maybe you find yourself in a situation. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some other dimension of your life. And it would be easier to go, but you just sense today that God is telling you to just stay. Like Ruth, it would have been so much easier, so much easier to go but there became this amazing blessing in her saying, how many of you, God is just speaking to you, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you just feel there's something in your heart that just says, hey, you know, I just, I just need, to, I need to stay at it. I don't need to be a quitter. I just need to be a finisher. If that's you, would you just sort of wave your hand and wave at me like this? Just sort of wave it, just wave it. Maybe in your job, it may be at school, it may be some other area of your life. Yeah, and I want to pray for you. How many of you right now, you'd just say, Jeff, again, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Those of you that are in this auditorium and those of you that are online, and obviously I can't see your hand if you're watching online, but if you just say, hey, I'm not born again. I've never received Jesus in my life, but I want to receive Christ. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness in my life. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand, lift up your hand straight up into the air, and let me just pray for you right here, right now. Dear Jesus, we just pray that you would come into our life. We need your grace we need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. We need your peace. And God, we need you to come and to be the Savior and the leader of our life. Jesus, come into my heart today. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, make me a brand new creature in you. Old things are going to be passed away. Everything becomes new. And God, I just pray that. I pray strength and encouragement for so many today. Maybe they're entrenched with a job that if they did what they wanted to do, they'd walk off the job tomorrow. They'd quit school. Or God, they'd just say to you, forget you, God. You could have stopped this or you could have made this happen, but they're going to come back and they're going to know, God, that you are for them and not against them and you love them and they're not going to quit on their relationship with you. So I pray that you would empower them today. I pray that you would give them strength today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you for being here today. See you next week. If you're new, come by. I'd love to meet you out at Guest Central. God bless you, everybody. I love you.